Mountaineering with the Master. We have been in this series for several months and we continue. We're back to it. Uh, We'll roll through the spring. We'll take a little break in the summer. And then we are coming back to this series again in the fall. Mountaineering with the Master. Two key words in that phrase. The first one is mountaineering. Now, mountaineering, I think uh, we can all get our uh, heads around that. It means to climb a mountain to reach the top or the summit. Pretty clear, right? But mountaineering really is a whole lot more than that. Certainly, there's elements of hiking and walking and climbing, uh, but this is with great intensity. When we talk about mountaineering, it requires mental, physical strength and tenacity and, and courage. It's not just uh, just kind of taking a stroll. It requires a a different kind of change of attitude, an attitude which says, hey, uh, i got to get out of my comfort zone if I'm going to make it to the next level. I can't stay where I am if I'm going to progress and get up the mountain. Uh, Mountaineering is also a team sport. It's no casual walk in the park. It's not kind of some easy stroll. Uh, No, no, it's very, very demanding. The second word that's key here is master. Master. Uh, Who is the master we're talking about? Well, the correct answer at Southside is always? That is correct. It's Jesus. Do you know him? And if you know him, are you living for him? Are you as holy as he is holy? Here's where we're going today. All right. He's looking for some climbing companions. If we're mountaineering with the master, he is looking for individuals who will climb with him. Those kind of folk who say, uh, I don't want to stay stuck spiritually. I don't want to stay where I am. I want to make progress to becoming more and more like Jesus. And so that's what we are looking at this series for, to become more like Jesus. When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, this is early in his public ministry, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. They climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, (laughs) he sat down and taught his climbing companions. So this begins the idea of what what does it mean to mountaineer uh, with the master? What is this all about? Now, the teachings contained in Matthew chapters 5 through 7 are what many Christians call the, the what? Sermon on the Sermon on the Mount. Very, very good. Now, the sanctuary for this, which I believe was the greatest sermon ever preached in the history of the world, was on a mountainside. Really, it was a good-sized hill, not a mountain. But Jesus calls his climbing companions up to him. And in this passage, he lays down his principles that he came to uh, give us about what it means to live in the kingdom that he had come to proclaim. The first things Mark records in his gospel are repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is near. So the king came to declare a kingdom is coming. He is the king. And this is how folk live for the kingdom. Now, this Sermon on the Mount, if your Bible has red letters for Jesus, is 111 verses long, making it by far, by far, the longest teaching passage of Jesus that we know about. 
Here is the greatest concentration of Jesus that you will find in the New Testament. I also think this passage of Scripture contains some of the most important spiritual truths God has ever given us so that we might live like He does and wants us to live. So this passage is absolutely central uh, to living for Jesus in His kingdom. Now, next to the Ten Commandments, the Sermon on the Mount is the most quoted section of the Bible. And familiar verses, yes, we all have them. Many of them come from the Sermon on the Mount. That would include things like the Lord's Prayer, things like the Golden Rule, all those things that we're going to be unpackaging, Lord willing, as we move forward. So Jesus began this greatest sermon with what we call the Beatitudes. We spent some time looking at what is a Beatitude, which are uh, very simply an announcement of how we can become a part of God's kingdom. Blessed are those who, and then he explains to us how we can become a part of this kingdom. And it starts with being poor in spirit, uh, knowing that uh, we aren't sufficient and that we're missing something in our lives. And God has come for us to show us the way. And so as we begin to unpackage these, uh, we've also discovered that this is an invitation, not just an announcement, but also an invitation from Jesus to live like kingdom-minded people. These are the expectations that he lays down for life in the kingdom that he claimed, came to proclaim. And so as we think about this, it's not just merely an announcement, it is an invitation. And an invitation requires... As some kind of response. And so far, we've looked at what Jesus meant by being poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the peacemakers. And so today, uh, we're going to cover one more. Matthew 5, 8, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And it's very easy just to uh, kind of look uh, and gloss over these things because we've heard them, we've seen them so often. And that's why we're taking the time to go verse by verse and just kind of mine out the truth that is in there. And so, pure, purity. What is Jesus talking about? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see well, 99 and 44 one-hundredths percent pure, the soap maker claimed. But would you agree with me that partly pure is really contradictory? Something is either pure or it's impure. How can it be 99 and 44 one-hundredths percent pure? If there's any impurity in it, does that not make it impure? Hmm, just asking, just asking. Shouldn't it be completely or absolutely pure rather than partly Pure? Now, if we're honest with ourselves, this might seem like it's pretty much impossible. And so I'm not going to even really try to do it. Practicing purity in thought and action, that's an impossible mission. I can't do that because I know I'm not capable. I cannot be 100% pure. Can you? Any of us? So what is Jesus talking about? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Hmm. Even though it seems impossible, 
It's what God asks of us. Here's the way Paul said it. God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. The word holy simply means separate, separate, a different kind of life. God did not call us to live an impure life, but a pure life, a separate life, a holy life. Okay? So now we're developing a standard here. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Hmm. Now, today we want to go on record to say, uh, for many of us, and I start with myself, I'm tired of giving in to my selfishness and my sin. It is a constant struggle if we're honest with ourselves. And so, might we get on a proactive program of preventative maintenance? Preventative maintenance. The results, we will see progress in purity and understand what Jesus says Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Last week, uh, we took some time and and we jumped into the new year uh, looking at our lives, reflecting uh, about what has been and beginning to think about what might be uh, if you were here last Sunday. And we want to continue that process uh, today as we think about this. Blessed are the pure. Now, that word pure... Catharos in Greek uh, is where we get our word catharsis. Now, uh, some of you might be familiar with that term. It's a psychological or counseling term for a cleansing of the mind and emotions. If you go through a cathartic kind of experience, it often involves crying. It's a purging of all that is within, and it comes out. Now, although there were several words used for pure in Greek at this time, Jesus chose this particular word intentionally. He had options to express the term purity, but he used this particular word. It meant to make clean from dirt, filth, the nastiness, the crud. And it was used in the trade language, for you who might be familiar, of unmixed or unalloyed metals that had been made pure by fire. They were now 100% Pure. Now, Malachi gave us a picture of what Jesus was talking about some 400 years earlier. He was uh, talking and writing about God coming and judging the earth. And here's what Malachi wrote. Who will be able to endure it when he comes? Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? For he will be like a blazing fire that refines metal. He will sit like a refiner of silver burning away the dross. Man, that's good stuff. Good stuff. He, God, will be like a blazing fire that refines metal. The same concept that Jesus is talking about. He will sit like a refiner of silver, burning away the dross. Now, if we were to uh, take a time back, a step back into history, and look at what was happening here, the metalsmith would sit over a cauldron, he would put into that cauldron silver as illustrated here. He would then cause that to become molten, to melt, and to become liquid. Now the metalsmith would look carefully at what was happening as the dross, the impurities, came to the surface, and he would then ladle off the impurities until it was completely pure. And do you know what the greatest indicator was that the metal was pure? 
he could see his reflection. And it was not distorted in any way. And so, as we think about this again, uh, the concept that, that God looks upon us, what does he see? Does he see your failure and your impurity? Or if you are a follower of Jesus here this morning, does he see the sacrifice of his son and his purity? Who is reflected, I wonder, when God looks into my heart? Can he see the reflection of his son coming from my soul? What dross does he need to ladle off so that my life looks more and more like Jesus? And so when he comes, when he comes, Malachi wrote. It's the same exact concept that Jesus is using. Blessed are the pure, the pure, a reflection of God's nature and character. And when he looks, he sees himself. And oh, how I want him to see Jesus when he looks into my heart. So, blessed are the pure. I find that intriguing. I find it impossible. Blessed are the pure in heart. What does that mean? Blessed are the pure in heart. Now, that word is cardia, where we get cardia, which comes in different ways that we know about. Cardiac, cardiologist, cardiomyopathy, which is a weakening of the heart muscles. All the heart words. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. In other words, purity comes from the inside out. It cannot come from the outside in. Make sense to you? If we are going to be truly pure, it's got to work its way out from the inside. Often our religious attempts at purity are external. If I can change my behavior to be like Jesus, if I can obey the commands of Jesus, then uh, when the Father looks at me, he will see the reflection of Jesus. I say, hold on just one minute and be careful with that way of thinking. Be very careful of that way of thinking. If we are conforming to some kind of external religious code, we are missing the whole point of what Jesus is about. Because he always starts with a heart and then begins to work its way out in our behavior. Religion begins to modify behavior and hopefully your heart is going to catch up once you do the right thing. It's a dramatically different way of looking at a relationship with God, and I think incredibly important. Now, purity is far more than sincere devotion. Purity of heart is not obtained by sincere devotion. There are a lot of religiously sincere people who have nothing to do with Jesus. The world is filled with sincerely devoted religious folk. I've seen more than a few in our years of traveling and of living overseas. For example, Cindy and I have watched with amazement as the faithful climb the Scala Santa or the Holy Stairs in Rome. These are 28 marble steps that are said to be the actual stairs that Jesus climbed on his way to his trial before Pontius Pilate. 
We've spent some time in Rome. We have seen many of the relics that are there. This one is stunning. The stairs can only be climbed on your knees as an act of purity or devotion to God. And people come from all over the world to do this. It's humbling to watch as many will stop and they will kiss the points on the steps They are glass-covered, but it's said that those are the actual blood drops of Jesus. And so they will climb these on their knees, often taking hours to do so, with great tears, with great devotion, with great desire for purity in in wanting to know God. (laughs) And they climb, and they climb, and they climb. You have to make a reservation now to climb. Uh, the stairs there. Martin Luther reportedly ran away from the stairs in shame. He said it made him realize the fallacy of the papacy. Charles Dickens, you might know him from another story, (laughs) was a bit more direct, claiming, I never in my life saw anything at once so ridiculous and so unpleasant as this sight. But before we say that seems really dumb, are we really any different Are you different, really? The scary truth is many who claim to be Jesus' followers are practicing outward purity and the signs of our devotion are purely external. And they're religious. So I don't mock that kind of thing. Nor do I do it in Buddhism or Hinduism. There's a lot of sincerely devoted people looking for purity. And that is true of evangelical Christianity as well. Are we really so different? God says you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. Anybody here qualify? Gutsy enough to stand up and say, yeah, that's me. So what do we do with this? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Oh man, when Jesus spoke these words, they were radical. They were absolutely radical, coming very against the religious tradition that he was born into. (laughs) No wonder they wanted to kill him. You see, the Pharisees of Jesus' day sincerely believed they could please God by their outward conduct. If they just obeyed and did what God says in the Old Testament, they would be fine. Never going to happen. Jesus bluntly told them, You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Which is a direct quote. Jesus was quoting from Isaiah 26.13. New words. He was using the Old Testament. Isaiah also wrote, We are all infected and impure with sin. That's pretty inclusive, wouldn't you agree? We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. They are disgusting to God. Disgusting to Him. Uh, Hold on, I'm getting to some good news in just a moment. All right. Now, biblically, the heart is a metaphor for our inner self. It's what makes you you, your personality, the makeup of your uh, intellect and will and emotion. Now, I have a bad heart physically. Ten years ago, I had bypass surgery. I have coronary heart disease. My clock is running. I understand that. 
It's hereditary. I get that. That's why I exercise all the time. I'm staying ahead of the inevitable, right? I have a bad heart. You have a bad heart. You have a bad heart. Every person in this room has a bad heart, spiritually. Here's what the scripture say. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine their secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. Ouch! The heart is desperately sick, another translation would say. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. But the heart is rotten and corrupt and selfish. So how do we put these concepts together? How do we do this? Jesus would say, for from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. It's out of the heart that these things are coming. This is the source. This is the battleground. It is the heart. But then he turns right around and teaches, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. How are we going to ever get here? This is impossible. You're absolutely right. We can't get there. We can't get there. And so God says, I'm going to take care of this for you. And Ezekiel prophesied centuries before, and I will give you, God speaking, a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And so here comes the prophetic revelation of the coming one. His name is Jesus, who would take our heart, this deceitful, nasty thing, in each of us and replace it with a heart after God. And only he can do that. And he says, unless you are born from above, uh, unless you are born again, this won't register in any way, shape, or form. So Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. I can't do this myself. I can't work harder. I can't study more. I can't pray more. I can't give more. I can't do anything to make this happen. I can't do it. We can't do it. Jesus has done it. Okay? So let's shift our thinking just a bit here. Now, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Hmm, they shall see God. No man has seen God, John wrote, and lived not in his full glory. Right, the Hebrews put it this way. Make every effort to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Without this separateness, without this purity that Jesus is speaking about, uh, we're not going to see God. And, and I, I really don't give a rip if you prayed some little prayer somewhere or raised your hand somewhere. Uh, and... Uh, we're just kind of living for ourselves, uh, I would be very cautious, very, very cautious with that kind of thinking. Hmm. Hmm. Make every effort to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. With his holiness, not our own, not our holiness, what we think of it, we will see God. Now, 
Understand, it's not a matter of trying to clean up our act. It's not a matter of, I've got to change some habits in my life. That's not at all what I'm talking about. Not at all. This is our own effort. All of that is our own effort. Is it good? Sure, it's good. We need to make the effort to become holy. But rather, it's a matter of surrendering to the one who is holy. There is only one who is holy. His name is Jesus. He is pure. And so he asks us, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before his throne. So how do we do this? How do we practically do this? How can we live our lives in such a way that we understand that this is coming from the inside out? Well, using the acrostic purity to wrap this up, hopefully this will help us understand the process. All right, so if you've got your sermon notes, P, we're spelling out purity. Put a name on it. Put a name on it. Now we're going to get very specific here. Let's personalize the sin that is right now in impurity in our heart. And if you ask the Holy Spirit to do that, he will do that right now. In fact, you already are thinking about it. You're already thinking about it because you know it. You know what it is. And I'm saying put a name on it personalize this thing that is separating us from God, the impurity that could be our nickname. Maybe even it's our identity right now. Liar, workaholic, hypocrite, addict, gossip, foul mouth, anger, lust, fighter, anxious, coward, glutton. I don't care what it is. Put a name on it. Put a name on it. I believe the Holy Spirit's putting his fingers right on it right now. You know what it is. You know what it is. But there's a point in which we have to put a name on this thing and own it. What is it in our thoughts, our actions, our attitudes that really keeps us from the purity that we desire to have before God? What is this thing that's kind of holding us back, holding us down, keeping us in defeat? We've got to own it. We've got to take responsibility for it. We've got to name it. We've got to agree with God that it's wrong. This is not right in my life right now, that something's got to change here. Climbing companions must be courageous people. It's not easy to climb with Jesus. In fact, he said, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. Not a whole lot of people took him up on that offer. But climbing companions must be courageous. So yeah, we've got to start by putting a name on it. I got my name, because I've been thinking about this for weeks. You, unmask who we really are. Unmask who we really are. To some extent, every person in this room is wearing a mask. Now, the purpose of a mask is to cover us so we will either be disguised or we will amuse someone or we're going to terrify someone. But we are wearing a mask. All of us do. Now, I don't know about you, but I really don't like being around folk who are fake and wear masks. Anybody like being around those mask-wearing fake people? Right? They make me want to gag. And I wonder if God's reaction to my purity is the same. You see, we all know how to put on a good front when it counts. We are experts at cover-up. Really good at it. You know where it started? Adam and Eve. What did they do? When they understood they sinned, they covered themselves up. We are experts at cover-ups because we are part of Adam's race. 
We cover up the impurity, cover up the wrongdoing so that others won't see us as we see ourselves or believe that our identity is found here. Not true. We may be one way on the outside, another way when we're inside the church. We think we're getting away with it. We think no one knows about it, but think again. You know what? God knows exactly what's going on in your heart. And if we're honest with ourselves, we know what's going on in our heart. So the Bible calls this confession. Admit our fear of failure. Admit our fear of being found out. Admit that we can do this, handle this ourselves. Maybe we've tried before, many, many times before. We've tried this. It just doesn't work. Each time we've tripped, we've fallen flat on our face, and here we are, and I just quit because I can't do anything about that. That's just the way I am. Well, God knows our track record. He can handle our doubt. He can handle our fear. He can handle our lack of faith. He can understand uh, and understands our uncertainty, our confusion about who we really are. Yet sin tries to remain secret. Sin will always try to remain secret. Once sin is unmasked, it begins to lose its power. It begins to lose its hold on us. And I want to know who is gutsy enough to allow the Lord to shine his light into the corners of the heart so that we might understand what it means. Blessed are the pure in heart. It takes great courage to do this, to open ourselves up to what the Holy Spirit will do. But the weird thing about it, we already know. We already know. God already knows. And he's just waiting for us to say, hey, look, I'm agreeing with you. That's what the word confession means. It's simply agreement. I agree with you. This thing, help me, help me, help me. Then our, we need to repent of it. Now it's time for some action. Repentance is a change of mind. It's a change of direction. Are we happy with ourselves when we cheat or we overeat or we lie or we listen or we watch things we shouldn't be? Are we blessed? Are we happy? Are we content? Ask God how he feels about our habits and our attitudes and our fantasies and our words. Are we bold enough to starve the source? Are we bold enough to turn it off, turn the other way, just say no? Are we courageous enough to climb with Jesus? It's not enough to say, out with the old, time for the new. Hmm. Replace those habits with godly new habits. Changing our mind about our sin will then result in a change of action. We have to first name this thing, claim it, own it, take responsibility for it, and say, God, I need your help. Then I identify Scripture to do battle with it. When we're tempted, it usually takes about 10 seconds to respond. It takes about 10 seconds to respond to temptation. The enemy is a master at temptation. He is going to put you and me in positions to be tempted because he knows where our vulnerability and our weaknesses takes us about 10 seconds to respond. So I choose to take the approach Jesus did. When he was tempted in the wilderness, what did he do? Quoted scripture. Quoted scripture from what book? Deuteronomy, all three times they come from Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law, because he is the completion of the law. And so if I want to be like Jesus and remain pure in heart, my greatest weapon is the Word of God. And if I don't have that thing hidden in my heart that I might not sin against him, if i got to get on my phone and do a search for it, right, uh, uh, probably too late. 
Our response is going to take less than 10 seconds when we're tempted. So we have to be prepared for the battle because we know our weaknesses. The enemy knows our weaknesses. And so the word of God, incredibly powerful to stop in its tracks that temptation, which will lead then to impurity. And so, if pretty woman turns my head, whether it's at Walmart or whether it's on a sports website, when pretty woman turns my head, the first round, first thing I've got to do is say, I tell you, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery with her. Right there. It works. Am I successful all the time? Huh. And then the Holy Spirit convicts me. And then I say, okay, let's go through this process again. And then the next time, I'm going to gain strength. And what's next? Because this, this is critically, critically important. And you know what? Sometimes God puts really stupid people in my life. They're know-it-alls. And I have this overwhelming sense to put the know-it-all in his right place. And then the Lord speaks. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels and the Lord's servants must not quarrel with anyone but be kind. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct. Oh, But I can't do this alone. And that puts us on T. Trust a friend to help with it. It's not good for man to be alone. Period. Man gets in trouble when he's by himself. We are made for relationships. A friend will stand with us. A friend will support us. A friend will hold us steady on the slippery road to impurity. So, do I have accountability partner? Yes, I do. They check in with me every single week. How are you doing with your thought life? What's going on here? What's happening? I know myself too well that I can deceive myself because my heart is desperately sick and deceitful, just as Jeremiah wrote. So if I want the purity of Christ in me, I've got to have help doing that. I can't do that by myself. You can't do that by yourself. You might think it's better that no one knows. If nobody knows, we all know. God knows because God knows. And you know what? You're just like me. And I'm just like you. Right? And the more we keep this thing in the dark, and the more we keep it to ourselves, the more we're going to stay in defeat. T. Trust a friend. We must come out of our spiritual isolation and let Others share in our journey of purity of heart. That's the way God designed this. We do this together. His strength, His power, accountability with others, and then we begin to see progress in this area. Why? Yield our life to God again. It's time to give it up to God. Some here are so weary 
of your impurity, you've begun to resign yourself that you are now in a lifelong, terminal, permanent condition. the way it is. The way my family is. The way I was raised. It's the way my grandpa was. It was okay, whatever. Right? But listen to me. Our sin is not penned in permanent marker. It is not. Defeat is not God's plan for our life. Victory is. Victory is God's plan for our life. To overcome. To push back the darkness and to attain that which is by any other standard impossible. Blessed are the pure in heart. I can't do this. You're right. You can't. I can do this through you. Let me show you how. Let's fix our eyes on the prize of purity. God is here to help us. He wants us to walk with purity. He does. He does. So I say, quit playing with sin, John. Quit making excuses. Quit saying it's normal. It's just the way that things are in our day and culture. Quit keeping the Lord at arm's length. Quit believing. No one knows. Quit believing. You can handle this on your own. Start believing. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. There's the truth. There's where change is initiated. Practicing purity. Purity belongs in our office, in our school, in the hospital, lawyer's office. Belongs in the police station, the assembly line, your computer, my phone, the White House, the farmhouse, my house, especially in God's house, our church. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now the cross of Christ is a place where our impurity was actually disarmed of its power. It's already defeated. Jesus has done it. The resurrection of Christ confirmed the victory over our impurity, over our sin, and provides the power that we can change today if we but ask. He wants us to leave here differently. He's here now to forgive and free and heal and restore. That's what He's about. He's a God of love and grace, and He wants us to be pure at heart. He wants us to see His Father. That's why He came. It's time to confess and confront our sin. I'm going to ask Steve and Amy to come and share a song that's familiar to most of us who have walked with Jesus. It's called Refiner's Fire. And we talked about that incredible picture of God sitting over our life, putting us in some circumstances that cause some stuff to bubble up. You know when you're really stretched and really tired, how that dross just kind of comes to the surface? That nasty stuff. And he's ladling it off when you're at your weakest, Right? You know when those moments come. And so he allows these circumstances into our life because he wants us to practice purity. He wants to reveal that impurity so that he can take it from us, so that we can walk in victory. That's his goal. That's his desire. And so uh, we're going to close in just a moment. But I'd like us uh, just to take this time to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us uh, okay, okay, you got your finger right on that thing, all right? Okay? If you don't, ask him. He'll show you. He'll show you. Put a name on it. Own it. And if it's your identity, you don't have to leave here with that identity. Jesus is here to free and heal.
can restore. But he often uses the refiner's fire to do that. He 